Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, we're talking about battery systems again on today's show. Whether you're a customer or a contractor, there's a lot of mistakes I've made over the past almost 20 years that you can learn from. I'm happy to share with you. And, and I just have to add, I'm going to keep making more mistakes, so maybe I'll have 10 more in five years from now. But anyway, almost everybody who has solar wants a battery system. It's like peanut butter and chocolate, like gin and tonics, spaghetti and meatballs. I got I to gotta stop with these analogies. It's making me hungry. But, but nevertheless, battery systems provide tangible economic benefits to customers. There's good money-saving reasons why you may want to add a battery to your solar system. You can time shift your energy use. So instead of net metering during the day, you can be saving that energy instead of instead of sending it back through the meter at 26 cents a kilowatt hour you can save it and use it at night when the electric rate might be 49 cents a kilowatt hour you can do energy arbitrage with certain systems in other words you can buy energy from the utility cheaply and then then sell it back to them when the energy is more expensive sometimes that doesn't you know the utilities might not like that but there's some regulations that permit it and then if you're a commercial customer the big benefit is demand charge reduction you can avoid these huge peak spikes in power demand if you have a battery that kicks on when your business is using a peak amount of power, for example, let's say in the morning, every morning your business turns on some, some heavy-duty machinery, big equipment, your power consumption peaks. Well, if you have a battery, the battery can provide a lot of that peak, and then your demand charge with the utility, which could be tens of thousands of dollars a month, is going to be way down. But what's really surprising to me and and almost every other manufacturer in the industry, is most customers who are looking at batteries are motivated more by the emotional benefits, not the money benefits, the emotional benefits. They want backup power. They want to cut their ties to the utility. You don't, you know, you can live without these things. I mean, certainly, it's super handy to have backup power because we're getting more and more blackouts. Since a lot of people hate the utilities, well, you know, you can cut the cord. But that turns out to be one of the big benefits. So, I've done over the years a lot of research to select the right products for my residential and commercial customers, whether it's batteries or, or some kind of metering system, whatever. I want to really make sure that things are going to work. I'm not always right, but I try. So with battery systems, it's not just the battery. It's even more important to have the right inverter. The inverter is kind of the brains of the system. And you have to have an, a battery that's compatible with that inverter. And that inverter has to do everything the utility wants you to do and everything that the solar needs to do. And it has to have the right communication capability. I like to do research into manufacturers. Sometimes you get the biggest innovations from small companies that are coming out with new products. And then again, you have the bigger companies that are out there that may have a more established uh, brand name and that they're going to give your customers a little bit more confidence with long-term reliability. And I always like to look into compatibility with other equipment because it's not just the battery that has to work with. It's got to work with the solar. It's got to work with your utility's particular needs. Yeah, for example, in California, we have this thing called Rule 21. And it dictates the way in which the solar system, the solar inverter, and now the battery inverter works with the utility's infrastructure. It has to have capabilities such as lower high voltage roll through, frequency capabilities, and you know, basically to kind of shut down a little bit if there's too much power or not enough power on the grid. So regardless of how much research anybody does, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect. The first few installations always have a really steep learning curve. So after almost two years of selling and installing lithium-ion battery storage, systems, I'm still learning and I'm still making mistakes along the way. So to help you avoid some of the mistakes that I've made and unfortunately continue to make, here are 10 of my most painful mistakes. In no particular order. Number one, selecting a product that's got some kind of incomplete 
system capabilities. I call it an incomplete product offering. I mentioned the system not, isn't just the battery. It's finding a compatible inverter. It's finding an inverter that works with the solar that you have or want to install. It's finding an inverter that has the right software built in, communications capabilities. And I mentioned this thing about Rule 21. Not all inverters are capable to meet or California's Rule 21 requirements. Now, if you're putting in a backup system, you also need a transfer switch. And then there's sometimes there's special cables, special enclosures that need to be used depending on where you're installing the battery system. All of this has to meet the required code requirements. Everything has to be UL listed properly. And those listings kind of change. So there's some companies that just sell batteries. And then there's some companies that sell what I would consider be fairly, really well-integrated, complete systems with everything you need, but maybe missing a key feature like backup power. And that's happened a lot in the industry. Now, these companies are overcoming the limitations. They're getting better. So you want to make sure that the system that you select for your installations, for your customer installations, or if you're a customer, making sure that the system you select really is going to work with everything you need it to do. Okay. Number two, mistake I've made, adding batteries to existing systems. This is really hard to do. If you have an old system, it probably doesn't have optimizers or microinverters, and most of the battery systems that, that require those or have to be compatible with it. Another issue that comes up is the city or the town or the county may require permits for any changes that are made to the existing system. So when we're adding batteries to a system, we have to sometimes dig up the plans or re-engineer the plans if we didn't do the installation for the existing system. It's kind of a pain in the neck. It adds a lot of cost. What may happen is your AHJ, that's the authority having jurisdiction, the city or the town or the county, they may require bringing the old PV system and the battery and the wiring up to current codes, or as this happened to me, re-permitting the system if any changes were made. Yeah, here's a situation that came up. We have a customer. I put the system in 15 years ago. Their inverter failed. It had a five-year warranty at the time. It lasted maybe eight or nine years. We put a new inverter in, and then when battery was going to be installed in the system, the county said, wait a minute, you've got to make sure that that new inverter you put in is on the plans and was permitted. And it was like, you know, we just swap out these inverters. But these things come up. And then the final thing, which is kind of really bothering a lot of people in the industry right now, and it's going to be a problem, is there's new regulations, a lot of new regulations that apply to battery systems. Now, I'm not only talking about things like requiring certain types of electricians or solar installers to do it, but new regulations about clearances from the battery to existing equipment, from where the battery can be installed. Can you install it in a garage? Can you install it in a habitable space? How far does it have to be from a window or a door? There are standard National Electric Code clearance requirements that we obviously have to maintain. But because these batteries have a lot of capacity, there are some new code considerations, I'm not sure there are requirements yet, that restrict where you can put the batteries. <laughs> I kind of look at some of these new code requirements. You couldn't even put it on a big brand new house because they, they, they require so many restrictions. All right. Another issue that hit me, boom, first one I installed. Can't install the CTs or the current transducers. And these are little magnetic clamps that go around the wires that come from your utility into your electrical service box. And sometimes you can't get these electronic clamps. It's basically a transformer that's got wires to it. You can't get these clamps around the wires that go into the building. And you use these CTs to measure the 
power consumption of the building. And it's really important to see exactly how much solar is being generated, what the battery is doing, and what the house is still drawing from the utility or sending back to the utility. It's a showstopper. If you can't hook these CTs up, how are you going to do the installation? And sometimes you can do it, but there's no safe way. It actually happened with 75% of all of the systems we've installed, maybe because we're installing in an area that has old electrical service panels, but we just couldn't put the CTs on there. It was a dead end. It's like, okay, we can't put the monitoring system in for the battery that we want to do. What do we do? Well, fortunately, we worked with our vendor, and our vendor happened to be Solar Edge. They make great systems, but our vendor said, you can try these things called Rogowski coils. I'm like, what the heck is a Rogowski coil? It's also known as a flexible CT. So basically, it's a magnetic wire loop that you can put around the conductors, or you can put it around the bus bar that allows you to install these CTs onto an existing system without spending thousands of dollars to, to put in a new service panel. So tricky things, stupid little item, but it really caught me by surprise. All right. Another big issue, and this has to do with backup panel wiring. So most of the people want to get backup systems. Biggest financial mistake I made is underestimating the amount of time and and labor to install a backup power system. You've got to wire these things in. Now, we tell customers we can provide power to their critical loads, their fridge, some lights, their furnace, their TV, a cell phone charger, maybe their microwave. And we do a, a preliminary check of the electrical wiring to ensure that the work can be done without a lot of aggravation. If, if there's a lot of problems, we tell the customer and we apply a cost to that. But sometimes in the middle of the installation, we find out that some of the circuits that we wanted to run are not being fed from the main panel, but fed from some panel in the middle of the house or in the basement or in a crawl space and really expensive to wire to that. So this is one of the challenges. It's really hard to kind of figure this out in advance because there's some complicated, buried, hidden electrical issues. So that's one, if you're a contractor, to watch out for. If you're a homeowner, just realize you know you can't back up everything and sometimes if you do want to back up that favorite appliance or something else, it might be really tough. Surprise. Mistake number five is kind of dealing with buggy hardware, stuff that doesn't work well together, firmware upgrades. Now, these issues usually hit not when you're configuring the system or installing it, but when you first turn it on. Then you find out that you may have to upgrade the firmware in the inverter, or the inverter is fine, but the battery has old firmware, or the manufacturer updated firmware since it was shipped to you. So there's all kinds of things. You're doing tech support calls from the field, and it does add to the cost. The good news is established vendors always get this figured out, and that's why I like to work with established vendors. You're not hitting them with something like, oh, wow, I don't have the engineering to go figure this out. All right. Mistake number six, unexpected costs. Yeah, I talked about the backup panel wiring. That's kind of the biggest unexpected cost, but there's lots of little ones that can kind of trip you up and suck out whatever profits you may have thought you'd make on that job. Well, one of the things is making multiple trips to fix communication problems or other problems with the inverter. Usually not the battery, but just the el- communications is tricky. And these battery storage systems are so dependent on having good communications to the internet and then communications from the internet to the company server that's maintaining it, that it's tricky. Actually, there's some companies that we don't even want to work with because they never kind of figured these communications things out or their method of doing the communications just isn't reliable enough for us. So you got to make multiple trips. You're going out there and fiddling with wiring or fiddling with Wi-Fi or Zigbee or, or running hard wire cable after the job was done because the wireless that you thought you were going to use doesn't work. So careful. Now, another little unexpected cost, and this is just, you know, there's only in one jurisdiction that I'm dealing with right now. 
but it's a big one. San Jose. San Jose, because California is an earthquake country, has requirements that a structural analysis and structural stamp be done for any equipment that's installed on a wall that's over 200 pounds. Now, the most common batteries from LG Chem and Tesla, and I think also BYD, they weigh over 200 pounds. So you have to get an engineer to do structural analysis of exactly how that battery is attached to the wall. Sounds kind of crazy. It's not just, you know, I got four lag bolts going into a stud. They want the structural engineer to verify that. And then taking it one step further, you need to have an inspection of the way in which those attachments are made to the wall. So before you put the battery on the wall, when you've got everything kind of ready, you've got the battery bracket on there, you're going to need to do an inspection from this AHJ, in this case San Jose, to come out there and make sure that the lag bolts are in there properly. It's kind of like doing an inspection when you're doing a ground mount installation or a trench where they want to inspect to see if the trench is deep enough or they want to make sure that the foundation is deep enough. But you got to do it for battery. That's a surprise. All right, another unexpected cost. And this is just like an ongoing, annoying, like rash, uh, multiple year issue trying to get the customer rebates because because batteries have rebates in many cases in california we've got the SGIP product program the self-generation incentive program and you know customers started off they could get a thirty four hundred dollar rebate then three thousand now it's down to twenty five hundred it takes a year to get these rebates so it's important to set the customer expectations in advance that it's going to take a long time to get these rebates because you've got about i would say probably two dozen I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but there's two dozen times you've got to communicate with the utility and the rebate organization with different paperwork and signatures and information they need and, and inspections, et cetera, to get that rebate. And then, and this is just something that I learned, and I think other contractors have figured it out, financing these rebates could be a problem. You don't want the rebate paid to your company. You want that rebate paid directly to the customer, because otherwise you have to float the receivable for that rebate for maybe... 18 months. It's kind of crazy. Okay. Mistake number seven. This is kind of a surprise. Batteries, well, it's not a surprise. You know, batteries can lose their charge if they're not operating. When you buy something that has a rechargeable battery, those batteries kind of gradually lose their charge. And the the charge can be lost faster under certain conditions, maybe if it's too hot or too cool. And if the charge on the battery gets too low, let's say it's, it's shipped by the manufacturer when it's at 30%, Sometimes if that charge level gets down below 5% or even lower, it can actually completely kill a battery. The battery won't be usable. The manufacturer won't warranty it anymore because it is discharged so low. So, you know, theoretically, it really shouldn't be that problem. You, you get the battery, it might top off the charge if you have the capability to do that. You install it, and then it might be a week or two to get the installation done and the interconnection done. But because of the complexity of the battery interconnection process. Sometimes it can take months. I wouldn't be surprised in some cases if it takes a year to get this interconnection. Everything's done, the permit's signed off, but it could take a year for the utility to kind of figure this out. Battery may be dead after that, or maybe down to like 2% charge level, and it's bricked. It's not operating. So you got to watch out for that, and that happened to us in one case, and, and, and fortunately the manufacturer that provided the inverter, it was Solar Edge. they basically sent us a note saying, gee, the battery level on this thing's getting really low. We still were waiting for the interconnection, and we managed to get that recharged and fixed. Okay. I talk about interconnection issues. So uh, formally interconnection is when you've got the system installed, 
The local jurisdiction has signed off on it. You've got that signed off building permit. Everything's working. But before the utility allows you to turn the system on, they require what's called an interconnection process. Now, for solar, in many cases, since solar is fairly common, the interconnection process can get done pretty quickly. And, and hats off to PG&E. I mean, they're usually less than two weeks to get the interconnection done. I mean, it used to be months and months and months. But the batteries are a new concept, a new product. And many utilities haven't really figured out the interconnection process for the battery. Not that the battery is going to be dangerous or a problem. I mean, the reality is it's just like a, a little DC device that's sitting behind the meter. It really doesn't have any impact at all. It doesn't even suck up power from the utility and tr- send it back. It's just actually buffering what's going on, and it's there in case of the blackout. But some utilities take forever to get that system interconnected. And, and I had the same experience with PG&E at the beginning. They've gotten much, much better. But it can still take three to six months, you know, and maybe for commercial systems, over a year or two to get that battery interconnected if it's something special. Now, part of the dilemma with the interconnection is when you're installing some equipment that's not really that common or standard, i.e., the utility's never seen that equipment before, or they've never got an interconnection for that, then you got to kind of blaze the trail and figure out what, exactly what paperwork they want, and they're going to throw a blizzard of things at you, so it's really a problem. Needless to say, some of these delays are just absolutely ridiculous. And customers get mad when they bought a solar system with a battery, and instead of taking two weeks to turn the solar on, it could take six months or longer. So you have to be really careful to set customer expectations properly for that interconnection. And, you know, there's ways around kind of accelerating it. One of the things that we do is when we put in a battery system with solar, we actually get an interconnection for the solar first. So at least they can use their solar. And then maybe they have to wait a little while. You know, right now the interconnection process is a few months. They might have to wait a few months to get the battery interconnected, but at least they can, they can actually buy a solar battery system and they can actually use the solar. I mean, in some cases in as few as 30 days after they sign the contract, that's really helpful. All right. Number nine, big hassle, incentive claim issues. Now, the incentive administrators, the incentive bureaucracies, they don't like parting with the money that's been set aside by the state or the Public Utilities Commission or other source. They have a lot of forms and a lot of data requests. Some of these processes require special reports. So for the S-CHIP program in California, the self-generation incentive program, they require a battery output report that's done. They also require that every component be properly UL-listed and that the, the utility or the um, SGIP administrator, the incentive administrator, has all the latest data on the system. They require special diagrams. They may require special monitoring systems, and it's really tricky. So some battery system manufacturers, note that I'm talking about battery system manufacturers, that's the battery plus the inverter, because the inverter controls the battery. They're not that prepared for it, or they haven't hit these things before. And these requirements, I, I would say, vary from location to location. California has one set of rules. New Jersey, New York may have other sets. That they're, they're kind of variable. So you got to be careful. In my view, I don't want to be the first one, the first contractor that's trying to figure out the reports that are required and the forms that are required and jump through all the hoops that are required to get that incentive. Because then it's going to be really expensive for me. And sometimes the manufacturer just can't do it. Now, on top of these, all these forms, I'm just kind of counting the stupid inspections that I have to do. We always have to do a normal city or county inspection. That's fine. That's standard. I think it's good from a safety standpoint. For some of these systems, the utility wants to do their own inspection 
And then they come back again and they want to have a separate company. They just hire these inspectors that want to check to see if the battery's working too. So now on top of the affidavits that are filed and the reports that are filed on, on the system operation, we have like two more inspections. And that's expensive because as a contractor, you've got to send somebody out there almost every time. Pain in the neck. All right. Final issue final mistake I made is putting in a system that doesn't meet the customer expectations for backup power. And and there's kind of like three aspects of this. Two of them are really important. First, the system may not be able to store enough energy. Now, when we talk about energy, we're measuring that in kilowatt hours. That basically means that that's how long the backup power system can run, how many hours. So a quick example here, let's say you have a 10 kilowatt hour battery, but the usable power in that battery is really only 8.8 kilowatts because there's some reserve power. Plus, because we always want to save some energy, we we set the system so there's always a minimum of 20% more power, more energy in reserve in case of a blackout. So at the end of the day, like at night or in the evening, you've already depleted the battery down to 20%. Well, you still have a little bit of power in case there's a blackout at night. So that means you only have 7 kilowatt hours of usable energy. Now, just some round numbers. Let's say that you have your your house is using on an average of 1,000 watts per hour. That's only the system's going to only give you backup power for seven hours until the battery is drained. Now, the good news is that the next sunny day, the battery is going to recharge. But if you have extended bad weather, you may need another battery. So you want to have enough kilowatt hours to meet the customer expectations. Usually what we do is we say, we're going to put in one battery. We see how it works. You can add another. Second issue, and this comes up more often, the system can't provide enough power. That's measured in kilowatts or watts. And so that is based on the size and the number of appliances that are connected to the backup subpanel. So the inverters and the batteries and backup systems limit the amount of peak power that can be provided, usually 5,000 continuous watts or 6,000 peak watts. But only with, if you only have 6,000 watts of power, big motors like air conditioners, pumps, large equipment, they're going to draw more power than that, more amps than that when they turn on. And so basically, these ACs are going to come on and the system's just going to shut down. It's not going to be able to deliver it. Now, it's even a problem if you have a lot of small appliances that are connected together. So unfortunately, right now, with with most of the systems out there, and I don't see a good resolution to this anytime soon, it's hard to power a lot of big equipment like air conditioners. I mean, the last thing that's come up is for customers that time shift their energy use, they may want more kilowatt hour capacity than they originally planned on. So if you generate 20 kilowatt hours during the day, which isn't unusual, you want to save all that energy for evening use. If you have a 10 kilowatt hour battery, you're not going to be able to do that. You're going to maybe need to add another battery. Okay, so here are my recommendations for contractors and consumers, businesses and homes. The vendors have to cooperate to make sure that you have a complete system. It's not like solar panels that are plug and play. You have to make sure that the battery plays well with the inverter. You have to make sure that your your salespeople and your installers are trained on the practical real world issues. Like the practical issue that I talked about, Rogowski calls, you have to be able to do that. You have to set the right contractor and customer expectations. And so a good way to do that is to talk to other contractors if you're doing installations, find out what they like and what they don't, and talk to other customers. All right, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. And if you missed any of today's show, you can go to our website at cinnamon.energy.